Hi everyone and welcome back to the first thing you think of podcast. I'm Olivia, the founder of La Casa de las Lenguas magazine, a bi-monthly magazine about languages and cultures. And I'm Ellie, the founder of the travel brand One Globe 360. Uh, so today is the last episode of our China series and we are going to be looking at the one-child policy, um, which is something that I guess a lot of people would know about China, um, but it, it is definitely something that has changed um, over the last few years. And again, like a lot of things that we've spoken about is sort of those things that I feel like I know a lot about, but probably in reality, reality I don't actually know um, kind of like a lot of things, but I can kind of talk about a surface level, but I wouldn't be able to really like go into detail about it. Yeah, I'm the same. I know I know parts about the, the history of the one-child policy and I did a, I remember doing a case study at school in geography, um, but again, my knowledge is probably surface level and um, I know there's been some recent news in terms of, of a change in the policy. So I think that'll be quite interesting to, to discuss. Um, but should I go and start by giving sort of a bit of background information to the one-child policy? So the one-child policy was introduced by Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping in 1979 in response to China's rapidly growing population, which was estimated at 970 million at that time. The policy was introduced in the years after China's declaration as republic in 1949, where after suffering, after suffering years of unrest, medical care and sanitation improved and China's population grew. It was initially thought of as an economic boom for China as it was quickly turning into an industrial nation from one that was largely uh, once largely agricultural. So do you think there's a link between the Communist Party and the introduction of the one-child policy? Well, it does, um, you know, kind of seem like it because, you know, it, it says that it introduced in the years after the declaration as a republic. So it would be interesting um, to kind of think of, would it have been implemented if mm-hmm. they didn't come to power because the thing is is that of course like China had uh, you know an increase in population and that was a big problem but for me I feel that there were many of ways in which they could have gone about it that weren't so like invasive on their public mm-hmm. life well not public life private life um, and I'm, I feel like I'm not surprised that it would have been brought in by the communist government mm-hmm. um and i would be surprised if it was like any kind of like other government um you know like i don't like to say it but like you know western governments like our government you know like i think like france spain canada us whatever yeah but when it comes if you tell me it was a communist government then it's kind of like, oh, I would think, oh, that makes sense. I, I don't know if it has anything directly to do with them, but it surprises me less if you were to tell me that a mm-hmm. communist government would have brought it in. Yeah, I think I agree. It surprises me less as well. Uh, I think it would surprise me a lot more if, like you said, if it was a, a government like in the UK or in you know, the US, or that would surprise me. Um, but I think, I think from what we've learned about the communist parties so far and the way it's structured and the sort of the ideologies and perspectives that they have, that's why I think potentially it doesn't surprise us because we, we know now about, you know, the Communist Party in China and, yeah, the policies they've introduced in the past. So it kind of aligns somewhat with what we've learned about. So I think that's potentially why it, it doesn't surprise us. Um, but, I mean, there's, there's lots more background information. So I'll keep going going through this. So 
by the 1950s, population growth started to, to overtake the available food supply, leading to the government starting to promote birth control. Following Mao Zedong's great leap forward in 1958, which was a plan to set out a plan set out to, to greatly modernize China's economy, there was a famine that had catastrophic effects, ultimately leading to the deaths of tens of millions of Chinese people. After the famine, the government still promoted family planning, in particular, though, postponing having children and the use of birth control, although this was temporarily halted in the wake of the upheaval as a result of the Cultural Revolution in 1966. However, the late 1960s saw the government putting extra effort into their family planning campaigns. In the mid-1970s, the Chinese government introduced the family planning slogan, which read, late, long and few. This encouraged marrying later in life, having children further apart and ultimately having fewer children. Most urban families were encouraged to have two children, while it was three for rural ones. Do you think they were justified in taking such actions and should governments get involved in these types of matters? I kind of like touches on on what I started saying. It's like, obviously there must be other things that you can do. I can't think off the top of my head, of course. But I feel like with these types of personal matters, I don't think it should be any kind of enforced policies, but rather it should be advice. And I'm sure the government gives us advice on a, a lot of things or, you know, maybe they do adverts. I'm thinking like, you know, with the coronavirus vaccines, mm-hmm. like if I turn on my TV now and I go on BBC, sometimes they will have adverts kind of, you know, kind of guilt tripping me to do it. Um you know, showing people with their family and why they should have it. But, you know, the government themselves, they know, oh, I'm not going to force them because then, you know, it can come back on me. And I think that's kind of like the same thing here is that I would think that it would be better to advise, kind of like do ad campaigns and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe what would show what could happen to China if... Um, you know, they didn't kind of try to bring down their population rather than take something that's so extreme and so invasive on a private life. Um, yeah. I, like, I, yeah, I don't think it... it I was going to say, I don't think it, it is the place of governments to get involved in these matters, and it's not. But obviously, when it comes to the economy of a country and how a country is going forward, then that is a matter for the government I think it's a matter for the government to plan out and see where it will go and you know try to you know if it's a problem try to curve that but you know I think there's a line and this line is you know it it really goes into people's private lives and their personal lives Mm -hmm. I, I really agree with what you've said I think education and just informing people of the the effects that the the current population growth was going to have on China and I think that might have been a better way to approach it in terms of just educating people, um, informing, informing people of the reality of the situation if the growth continued at the rate it was, rather than implementing a forced policy. Like you said, it's it's very invasive on, on personal life. Um, you know, make, forcing someone to make a decision on how many children they have is a very like, personal, personal matter, isn't it? And should governments get involved? I mean, to an extent, yes, but in the right way. In, like I said, in... In education you know in educating or um yeah even just maybe through social media you know edu- well it draws back to i think educating and uh and not enforcing policies um which are 
involved in personal personal matters like like you said so I think to an extent they 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 were right to to take action but I think the action was wrong if that makes sense yeah, it could have been yeah, done definitely. you know could have been could have been done in a in a better way and a less invasive way um so yeah that's what I'd say about that so got a bit more about it now and maybe well I was gonna say maybe we change our opinion but I think it will just you know kind of uh back up our opinion really so if a child was born during the one child policy it was mandatory to apply for a family planning service certificate as the communist party had a wide reach and a large influence over many parts of society they were able to enforce the policy through a neighbor watch like structure encouraging neighbors to spy on each other and report any suspicious behavior to receive a monetary reward this in turn motivated many people to take part and I guess that would work for them, isn't it? You know, you spy on your neighbours, you tell us information, we will give you money. I'm sure that would be an incentive for most people. And you've got to think as well, the people who were a lot less off, maybe they wouldn't want to spy, but, you know, they needed the money. Um, yeah. And, you know, that that is quite deceitful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, like, despite yeah. the, the possible monetary advantages, do you think that it is morally wrong to spy on others and report their suspicious suspicious behavior Uh, but can you understand why someone do this like I said you know difficult situations yeah I I do definitely think it is morally wrong to to spy on others and report this so-called suspicious behavior um yeah I do think it's morally wrong um can I understand why someone would do this definitely you know if like you mentioned if they find themselves in a difficult financial position then the you know the possibility of, of earning more money is something that I can understand people would do if they find themselves in you know in financial hardship uh, I'm sure they they well I can't speak for every person in that situation but I'm sure they'd probably feel quite guilty somewhat if they had to report their neighbor for example for this sort of idea of suspicious behavior or if they had more than one child for example um but I think given the idea of financial hardship it probably would overcome the guilt and they'd still do it anyway again I can't speak for every situation I'm sure there'd be people that needed the money but felt like it was morally wrong so wouldn't have spied or people that even had money but still wanted more so spied you know what I mean so I think there'd be lots of different situations and different people acting in certain ways to the to the idea of the, the monetary sort of opportunity but overall yeah I would definitely say it's morally wrong and I mean whose fault do you think it is those who spy on others and report it keeping that cycle going or the government for encouraging it and putting people in that position to start with well it's like first of all I think the government shouldn't um keep well sorry put people in that position you know um knowing that there are you know probably people who go for it just because you know they really need it um because you know maybe as we said you know they're not financially well off and you know it's it's too enticing for them and I guess we don't know how much pressure is put on these people as well you know, it's, it's so much just, just like, you know, reading this and, and, and saying this and that. But, mm-hmm. you know, 
we don't know what it was like to be in China, um, you know, as I said, if there was pressure or if there wasn't, you know. Um, but, you know, obviously the people who who do it, who do report and do spy, they're kind of keeping our cycle going, aren't they? Um, and it's like, you know, nobody can stand up to the government really because, well, they're all doing it themselves. They're carrying it on. But I think the whole problem would go if or would have gone if the government had just taken it away and had just been like, well, we're not going to pay you if you spy on them, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that that would have been the resolution. You know, if you think of it the other way around, if people refused to spy, then there would have been a lot more problems than if the government just decided to not ask people to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it also goes down to the question of like, fundamentally where do we think the government has gone wrong you know trying to curb the, the increase in population or the way they've gone about it and I think like what I said earlier I, I can understand somewhat the the need to educate citizens about the rising population and the impact that that might have the the economic the social the you know all the potential implications of of, a, of an in, a very you know increased population you know into the future um so I can understand the need, yeah, like I said, to educate the population about that. But I think the way they went about it was wrong. And I think it encouraged people to well, spy on their neighbours. And that, as we've just discussed, we, we both believe is, is morally wrong. Um, I mean, can you imagine like in the UK spying on? Well, I know even I, I feel like even recently we've, we've, we've potentially had that in the, in the country where um, during the pandemic, people um, like sort of I'm not I guess not spying on their neighbors but you know when like if there were a few things in the news where people had broken the broken the rules and their neighbors had like called the police so in that way that's kind of the same thing though like it's not really spying I guess but reporting uh essentially rule breaking of a situation to the police I mean it's the same principle in China like people were rule breaking and neighbours were spying and reporting to the authorities or police. So I was going to say, and you know, can you imagine in the UK that happening? But actually, that kind of has happened. Not often, I don't think, in the news, um, in the pandemic. But, um, yeah, there were definitely some situations. I, I'm pretty sure I saw in the news where people had um, sort of dobbed people in. I know that's a sort of very colloquial term. But, um, but yeah, I guess overall it's quite hard to understand isn't it the idea of like spying on your neighbor because it's just not it's not a part of life in in the UK generally speaking uh, so I think I think yeah like I said education I think would have been the right way and in informing people of the implications of this rising population but they went about it, about it in the wrong way um, what about you what do you think yeah I definitely think that as I said I think there's a lot of other things that they could have possibly done I mean I I don't know like specifically of course but you know I'm sure um, there are so many other options to taking such you know an extreme one 
And I, we'll go on to speak about it later, but there have been so many effects of it, negative ones. You know, it has helped to, to keep the population down. Um, I think it stopped something like 4 million births, or maybe it's more than that, maybe it's 400 million. I don't actually know, but it's it's got a 4 in it. The statistic, yeah. is, the statistic is later on, but, um, you know, it, it has been effective in doing that. But I personally don't think there's, there was enough planning for it because there have been mm-hmm. so many negative effects of it that yeah. I don't think that they actually completely thought it through so I think it's kind of been been a fail for them even in that way and now yeah. it's kind of like they're trying uh, as I said we speak it more in depth with it later but now it's kind of like they're trying to reverse it a little bit um, so you know definitely they had the right intention of trying to in, uh, curb the increase in population but it was definitely done in the wrong way and you know the way they went about it was wrong and I'm, I was going to say I'm sure they'd admit it but I don't think they would but I think they know that maybe not from the reasoning that we were given in terms of it's too invasive but rather um, you know it was too, too extreme Mm-hmm. Like, I'll go on now to talk about this sort of so-called prize for their sort of corporation and, and cooperation. So as a sort of, yeah, prize for, for this, families who adhered to the rules could reap many benefits. These could include better employment opportunities, higher wages and government assistance. Um, and those who failed to follow them, at the very least, were subject to fines, restricted or revoked access to government assistance and employment opportunities. So do you think this is something that should have been legally enforced or something that should have just been encouraged? Yeah, again, we've got that thing there, haven't there? It's like, you do what I say and we'll give you a reward. Um, which, again, I, I, I don't think... I don't think it's right, is it? Because it's, it's kind of like... Um, you know, especially when it comes to things like fines, um, you know, restricted access to government assistance and employment opportunities it's the employment opportunity part that gets me and of course the government assistance but I mean if you don't have a job you know how are they supposed to get income Mm -hmm. it's kind of like oh we'll we'll take your whole life away but we're not going to say we're taking your life away we're just going to take away the things that give you you know a sustainable life Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so it's kind of like it's making it almost impossible to live without actually following their rules it's almost like a vicious cycle isn't it in terms of they don't they don't adhere to the rules and then it affects their life in other ways in terms of you know their jobs their income you know needing if they need government assistance then you know that might not um well like you said there like it, it affects that as well so it's definitely having a, a an added impact on people's lives not just it's not just linked to potentially a family wanting more children like the implications of their decisions could impact their whole livelihood you know in a quite in a quite a big way you know fines restricted or revoked access to government assistance you know maybe fewer employment opportunities like their opportunities within jobs were you know negatively impacted so you know, definitely like a cyclical sort of impact on their livelihoods, which I'm sure was, you know, was really difficult. And I mean, I guess it then draws down to the question again, like, should a government have a right to legally enforce such restrictions on people's lives? I was just thinking, like, how can they? Like, 
you know, I'm not too sure, but is this a human rights breach in any way? I'm not too sure, but I'm, I would be surprised if, you know, unless there's a loophole or something, but I don't understand how it's it's legal to to mm-hmm. be, you know, so involved in someone's life like that and their life decisions. As yeah. I said, I don't know if it's like a loophole, like they can say something like, well, it's in the interest of the country because, you know, if we didn't do this, then this is what would happen to the country. And maybe they mm-hmm. can say, you know, this would be so much worse anyway. But yeah, I mean, there must be a loophole or something because I don't understand how it's kind of like legally possible. Yeah. So yes, yeah, and more information on locational differences with, with regards to this policy. So how the policy was implemented was also dependent on, on location with the biggest difference found between the urban and rural areas. The majority of workers in the urban areas worked for places that were affiliated with the government, meaning that they placed pressure on them to report anything that they considered to be suspicious behavior. However, families living in rural areas of China would have the village's family planning official or cluster leader who would have the job of tracking all of the families living in their designated area. According to an article written by Harvard researchers, these planning officials would keep records of every woman in the area who would be of childbearing age, even including data on their menstrual cycles. So what do you think about the different ways in which it was enforced, particularly those under the influence of the government? Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show isn't it that um i think we kind of hear the one child policy and kind of see um you know and and think of how it was so strictly enforced but there's always like differences isn't there there's always i wouldn't say exceptions in this in this circumstance but you know as it says you know it was dependent on location you know and there was a big difference between um urban and rural areas and that's probably not something that we would know unless we we looked mm-hmm. it up or we were educated on it but I think that's also important because you know it's it's important not to to generalize but the thing is isn't it as it says urban areas worked for places that were affiliated with the government and although it they were um you know affiliated with the government so um you know it would seem like I would have thought that if they were affiliated with the government that they could kind of get off a little bit more easily but it's like you know it meant that they had more pressure to report things so it's am I surprised not really but you know I would have thought that it would be the other way around um, and that they, as I said, they'd get off with things. But as I said before, I feel like the Chinese government is like an opportunist. You know, mm-hmm. if they see an opportunity, they're just going to take it to their advantage. And I think it's definitely clear here through their relationship with the urban and the, the rural areas and, and how they they go about that. But what's also really scary is, you know, and I'm sure you think the same, how can it be justified in any way to have such personal information and for that to be monitored by people? Just thinking of, like, you know, the government knowing those type of things about me, I think I'd move countries. (laughs) Yeah, it's so invasive on just personal information. You know, can you imagine, I know we try not to compare to the UK, you know, as much as, you know, I'm, I'm sure I have done in past episodes, I've compared a lot, but can you imagine that being, like, our reality? Like there'd be outrage. 
right? There would be complete outrage. It just it just wouldn't be possible for the government to have that sort of information because people wouldn't wouldn't give it, you know. So I think the fact that it is enforced in China is it's quite shocking, isn't it? To, to sort of understand the extent to which such personal information is being recorded and monitored. Um, so I think it's, yeah, the way it's enforced and the influence of the government, like, I, th I think it's quite, reading this information about the differences within the, in the sort of the urban and rural areas has really highlighted to me the, like, the severity of this policy, you know, like the extent to which people are being monitored or pressures being placed in the workplace or women's their their you know menstrual cycle data is being monitored i think that really hit hit hard to me in terms of the extent to the policy um you know and the, the differences between the urban and rural areas you know there are differences but fundamentally this the they are both being whether you live in an urban or a rural area you're being monitored you're being you've got data kept about you you've you know you're under watchful eye of people around you so yeah i think it's just really shocking um to understand i guess a bit deeper what the the policy really um meant for you know chinese people and do you think there's any way at all that it, it can be justified in terms of like the personal information and the monitoring of of people no again i would have thought that that would be another human rights breach. I should really read my human rights so I know my, I know, you know, what I, I should be for and like what's allowed, you know. Um, but I would have thought again, like, you know, how is, how would that legally be allowed? But, you know, China are facing human rights breaches. I know they are now. I don't think it's related to this, but they are yeah. anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised if, this would also you know come under that and be one of them because I wouldn't also I would also not be surprised if it is one and nothing has been done about it that's not like a, a dig at you know anyone who's in charge of human rights but you know I'm not too sure how they go about it when they mm. think that it's been breached you know I'm not not yeah. too clear on what happens um, as I say, I know that they're under human rights breaches and um, they're being accused of that. So I I wouldn't be surprised if this was one of them. But yeah, mm -hmm. there's got to be some sort of legality. Um, but as I said, maybe there's a loophole. But no, I, do, I don't think it can be justified. I think it really is taking it to the extreme. As I said, I do think, you know, the problem, the motivation, it, it, it was a serious problem and it, it did need you know, government assistance, but to a particular extent. And I, I really don't think that this was it because, you know, the more that we go on and the more kind of information we say about this, the more kind of extreme is getting. Yeah, nor shocking, right? You yeah. Know, like we, we can both agree that some sort of government assistance or interference through education may have been required because obviously I can, I can understand the implications of a growing population to the extent that it it was and it is in China. I think we can both understand that, that having such a big population can cause, can cause issues in a country in terms of how, is there enough resources for everyone? Can everyone, um, you know, have a roof over their head? You know, is there enough houses? Is there enough food, etc.? I can understand the implications with that, but I think the way in which it's been done is just very morally wrong. And definitely, like you said, there are 100% some human rights 
situations here I don't you know I it's, I don't really know the term to you know violations I guess you could say the term um, and whether things are being done within this one child policy situation I mean potentially I mean again I need to educate myself so much more about human rights and the UN and the responsibility of the of the of the UN and um, their role or their what, what they could do within the situation in China but I think yeah overall it's it's really shocking right to realize the extent to which people are being monitored and um and yeah even their neighbors spying on them like it, it, it i didn't under, i didn't realize it was to this extent so i've definitely been educated on this um today um so do you want to just give a, a bit more information about when the policy was first introduced yeah, so when the policy was first introduced, it was uh, obligatory for Han Chinese, which are an ethnic majority, to only be able to have one child. And the policy was relaxed in the 1980s, um, permitting them to have two children if both of the parents didn't have siblings. However, there were also exceptions to those living in rural China and ethnic minorities that only had a small population. I mean, do you know about these exceptions? Um, I mean, I didn't. Personally, I didn't know about the yeah. rural one. I'm not no. sure if I knew about the two child and be able to have that. Um, but does it change your view of it at all? Um, I think overall, no, it doesn't change mm. because I think this relaxation was was temporary. I believe it wasn't. Well, it hasn't been in place since the 1980s to the present day or whatever. Um, yeah, I didn't know the policy was relaxed in the 1980s, um, permitting people to have two two children if both of the parents didn't have siblings I, I wasn't aware of that and um I didn't know the exceptions of those living in rural China and ethnic minorities that only had a small population either so I guess it's good to put into some context like to have an idea of the exceptions but I think overall it doesn't change my yeah it doesn't change my overall opinion I guess of the whole one child policy situation what about you no I mean um it, it shouldn't have been implemented in that way in the first place and the fact that a government would go to that extent to do it you know forms my opinion enough I guess but it does surprise me that they did relax it um, and I was gonna say like maybe it meant that it wasn't that strict anyway but I mean I'm pretty sure that it was um, mm -hmm. but I wonder why I don't did they say why they relaxed it no but Maybe because it's ethnic minorities, I would think maybe that they would be affected a little bit more, um, possibly. Um, yeah. And that is why, oh yeah, because they said that they only had a small population. Um, so at least they'd be a nice in some way, I guess. At least mm -hmm. they were thinking ahead in some way. <laughs> That's the only good thing I can say about it. Yeah. Um. You know, it was a good thing for that reason. And I am surprised that, you know, they took that into account, I guess. Yeah, I think I think definitely the, the Chinese government have always sort of planned ahead, haven't they? Like, well, obviously, they were planning ahead with the, the decision to do the one-child policy because they were thinking ahead to the population size. And it's clear with the ethnic minorities that only had a small population, they were thinking about that planning ahead as well, making sure, I guess, that population grew. Um but yeah, I mean, there's there's more information that I'll go into in terms of like another amendment to the policy. So towards the end of 2013, the policy was amended to allow couples to have a second child if either of their parents were an only child instead of both parents having to be an only child. 
Although this didn't have a great effect on the population, with it being estimated that just 80,000 couples applied to have a second child in a year following the change out of the 11 million that were eligible, according to China's government run um, National Health and Family run the National Health and Family Planning Commission. Some guessed that many Chinese people chose against having a second child due to the fact that the majority of those eligible lived in cities where the cost of living is higher than in other areas. So do you think the generations who would be eligible to have a second child could also be used to could also be used to being in an only child family and this would affect their decision, i.e. having one child would become the norm regardless of these policies in place? Yeah, you've got to think if like lots of um, Chinese people have been brought up being an only child, you know, would they choose to have more than one child? Because I guess it would kind of be the norm for them, wouldn't it, to be an only yeah. child? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to think of like what, like effect does it have psychologically in that sense as I said would they want to sack would they want to have two children if they were only ever brought up in a family which had one child you know uh they were an only child and like all of their friends were only children like Mm -hmm. you know it's not the norm is it I I wonder like what effect that has I think it's got a psychological effect hasn't it in terms of if 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 the parents themselves have grown up as only child, you know, only child, for example, and their friends and, you know, people around them is only been like a one child family, I guess psychologically, when they then have the possibility to have another child, that could be, yeah, just like a, I guess, psych- psychologically for them to try and, you know, be, get used to a situation where they haven't just got one child, they've got two. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's just so different to what they're used to. So maybe that might affect their sort of decision, regardless of like the policies. Um, maybe that would just affect how they sort of perceive the policy and their personal decision to have another child or not. Just depend, just because it's because of how they've lived their lives so far in terms of as a family only having had one child or the parents themselves only being one, you know, the only child. Um, I think the environment you're in and the people around you have a big impact on on your life and on your influence. So maybe that's why not as many took up, you know, 80,000 couples applied to have a second child in the year following the change out of 11 million that were eligible. I mean, that's a very, very small percentage that have actually taken up that opportunity. What do you think about all of that? Yeah, like um, I'm not I'm not really well, I guess at first I was surprised. Because I thought that more would take up the opportunity. But I guess it just goes back to what I said. And I'd use that as reasoning for it. You know, it's just not the norm. Um, and I think if you wanted to make it the norm, then more would have to be done than rather just to make it available, to make it a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think education again, right? Like if you're going to change a policy to allow, after, after so many years, to allow someone to have another child, you have to... Well, I think give some more assistance rather than just changing the policy, because like we've just talked about, you know, it became the norm just to have one child. So now that there's an opportunity to have two, maybe some education about or maybe some financial assistance or um, reassurance that, you know, that if you have a second child, that's yeah, that you will be able to, as a family, have sufficient income. There'll be schools in the area that you're your child can go to your second child can go to just things like that right to reassure families that um they can still provide for their family with two children rather than one i think and that yeah could come from government education government assistance um but 
yeah do you want to go on to talk about what happened in 2015 yeah, so ultimately China ended its one-child policy in 2015 for demographic reasons um, because it realised that too many Chinese were heading into retirement and the nation's population had too few uh, young people entering the labour force to provide for the older people's retirement, healthcare and continued economic growth. And the policy was initially meant to be a temporary measure to curb the growing population. However, it has... Um, since been estimated that his, it has prevented 400 million births since this, that, um, since this introduction. Um, the pot, yeah, so the demographic reasons as to why it ended is what we will discuss um, right now after this. Um, and I guess it's not surprising that such a measure would have you know such large effects such large demographic effects I mean do you want to go through those for us yeah so the first one to go through is the the gender imbalance so a side effect of the policy is that China is the country um, in the whole world that has the worst gender imbalance in terms of its sex ratio at birth as there remains a preference to have a son uh, and this especially saw an increase during the times of the one-child policy, as many families made the choice to abort female fetuses. In 2019, the gender ratio in China was 114 males for every 100 females born. Why do you think this is a problem for China in the long term? And yeah, why do you think this could be a problem for, for China like into the future? Um, well, obviously, like, when it comes, it's going to like make the population I don't want to say too small because I don't think it'd even be too small like you know I don't think that's the problem but right now but in terms of like the younger generations like you'd have a big older generation but a smaller younger generation and you know then that's going to have a further effect on the future gen <clears throat> sorry the future generations to come because you know obviously like you know again with someone and having children you know if there's um you know you know there's less females for every male then it's it's a bit of a problem isn't it yeah like there's definitely you know implications for China in the long term in terms of I mean like I, I just said it's it's uh the the country in the in the world that has the worst gender imbalance so that's definitely going to have an impact in the long term more so than any country around the world um I mean, yeah, but there's, this is one of many impacts of the policy. Would you like to go over the next one? Yeah, so um, between 1965 and 1979, China's birth rate fell from 64 to 2.7. I'm guessing that would be, I wouldn't say billion, but I don't think that would make sense. But I don't know if that's percentage, but that number, <laughs> according to the World Bank, meaning that the one-child policy has generally been successful. But the fertility rate declined through the 1990s until it dropped to 1.7 in 2018. And this means that women generally give birth um, to 1.7 children, which is a bit weird, <laughs> which in turn means that China now has an older population who rely on their children to support them when they're older and retired. In 2020, in 2020, approximately 17.4% of China's population is estimated to be over 60, and this is expected to rise um, to nearly 35% in 2050, and many families have also cited concerns over the 4 to 1 family structure. So that would be consisting of four old adults, which are grandparents of both sides, and then two parents, and then only one child, and this puts um, a strain on old age support. 
Um, and if is the pressure of having the much smaller, younger generation look after the larger, older generation, something you had thought about before. It's not something that I thought about, um, but it's something I feel like that is so clear. And what do you think the effects of this could be on the younger generation? Well, I, it takes me back to my case study I did at, at school, actually, and um, I sort of feel like it's taking me back to um, to going through this. And I think the obvious side effect, given there's a increased demand and pressure on the younger generation to look after the older generation, is that I don't think, I think it'd have a negative effect on entrepreneurs' productivity, for example, because if the younger generation are having to spend more time looking after their parents or their grandparents, they're going to have less time being able to work, less time being able to socialize, less time, you know, to be able to do as much in their day as they would do if they didn't have to look after their older generations, if that makes sense. So I think it would also cause a lot of strain, you know, I think mental health as well, something to, to talk about here in terms of a lot of pressure on younger people to have so many responsibilities. Um, so I think, again, it links to, I guess, this next question, you know, how damaging do you think this could be to Chinese society? I think quite damaging. I think it caused a significant change in the structure of the country in terms of, yeah, like I said, people being able to work as many hours as they might might if they didn't have to look after the older generation or pressure on mental health and just stress, increased anxieties and stress in everyday life. Um, yeah, what, what about you? What, how damaging do you think this could be to Chinese society? Yeah, well, you know, if you think about it, the next point that we're going to look at is shrinking workforce. And if you're putting a lot of pressure on younger generations to look after a much bigger, bigger generation, uh, bigger generation, older generation, then that I'm sure it will put even more of a strain on the workforce because there'd be more of a strain on the younger generation, which is literally consisting of one person. And I'm sure that would have an effect on their work. Like maybe they'd have to take more time off work, for example. So mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of these kind of, you know, affects it all intertwined with one another, which I think would only make it worse, only exacerbate it. Yeah, I think so too. And I guess it kind of links onto the next point, which is this idea of like a shrinking workforce. I mean, all these factors sort of interlink, don't they? Um, so due to population control, the amount of Chinese people entering the workforce has decreased over the last few years. And this is expected to accelerate further in the upcoming years. The labour force fell to um, 887.29 million workers in 2018, which is another 0.5% decline for the seventh year in a row, according to the National Bureau of Statistics. So how big a problem do you think this has the potential to be? Yeah, I think that has quite a potential to be a really big problem because obviously, well, China is quite known for its economy. So I guess it's quite surprising Um that this would be you know a problem uh that they would be facing I guess in that sense but you know obviously if you have a smaller workforce it it is going to affect you um economically isn't it Mm -hmm. and that's obviously you know going to be quite a big problem for China especially one which you know I'm I'm not too sure on the statistics or whatever but I'm sure it would be up up there with one of the most powerful economies in the world and Um, I'm sure that they'd want to maintain that and continue to be known as that. So I guess for the government as well, it probably would have that sense of pride economically mm-hmm. and that yeah. could be a potential effect for them. I mean, they're also one of the BRICS countries as well. So, you know, do you think 
with it being one of the BRICS countries and having a potential, well, we don't, we know it's not potential. We know this is happening. They're having a, you know, a smaller workforce. Do you think this could impact its, its, uh, you know, it being a BRICS country? Do you think it could fall below other BRICS countries in terms of like its economy? Yeah, I do think it could. Whether it would have too much of an impact in terms of that, it would no longer be counted as one of those countries as being you know, um, one of the five most influential ones. I'm not too sure if it would have that much of an effect. I'm not too sure why I, th- <clears throat> I'm not too sure why, you- <laughs> oh God. I'm not too sure why I think that. Um, maybe there's like other parts of the Chinese economy that are very influential and will sustain it to some extent. I'm not too sure, but um, I do think, that it would have um you know quite a, a big effect on its economy because it's it's a problem that's wide reaching it's not just affecting people in you know urban areas or just affecting people in rural areas it's you know mm-hmm. you know it's it affects the whole of china i guess because this policy was implemented in the whole of china you know yes in different ways i guess um but you know it's it's quite wide reaching it's a it's a general policy for the whole country um, so I do think, uh, you know, an effect on its its economy, yes, maybe would drag it down from the other BRICS countries. Mm-hmm. But I guess that would just depend on, you know, how the whole of the economy of China works, what other things are there to sustain it, um, yeah. which obviously I'm not too sure about. But I would say that it would have quite a substantial impact. Um, the yeah. complete extent of that, I'm not too sure. But yes, an impact, I would say. Yeah, I agree as well. I think it would have an impact on... On its identity as a BRICS country, you know, especially as the one child policy has not been implement, implemented in any of the other BRICS countries, as, as far as I'm aware of. Um, and yeah, I think it definitely would have an impact, you know, especially, you know, well, of course, economically, um, you know, China has, yeah, I'm sure one of the biggest economies in the world. And if there's a, you know, a reduced workforce, it's definitely going to have a knock on effect on the economy. So I think, you know, just looking long term and we'll, we'll, we'll close up the episode on just looking at, well, discussing sort of the potential outcomes of this policy and looking into the future, you know, the exact effects of the controversial policy are still largely unknown. There are some who believe that it has had a minimal effect on the population, while others hope it will bring benefits such as a reduction in abortion and better overall health. Do you think the outcomes then overall will be more positive or negative? Um, I do think, yeah, it would be more negative. The only one that I can think of is that they would have achieved their aim in reducing the population but again Mm -hmm. that has come with a lot of you know side effects um which I don't think in the long run will will be worth and I think you know they've you know they definitely have realized that now and it's kind of like I wouldn't say they're backtracking but they are taking steps a few steps backward to try and reverse them to to what extent they'll be successful with that I'm not too sure it's like you know how much damage has already been done I think quite a bit of it has but yeah. it'd be interesting to see if they are successful in any way in reversing aspects of the policy yeah I think I think potentially they they see now that they had it in place had the one child policy in place for too long because yeah. now like you said there's almost backtracking because of the impact it's had on workforce on the aging population on the now expectation of younger people to look after the older generation so I think like you said, they almost are backtracking to try and reverse the extent of the policy um, in terms of, you know, 
I think it, it was 400 million, wasn't it? 400 million births that have been prevented from this one child policy. So I think they definitely are backtracking now to try and um, overcome this aging population. And um, obviously they don't want a reduction in their workforce. So they're now changing parts of the, you know, the policy to, to yeah, um, yeah, I guess increase workforce, increase the younger, pop, you know, the younger population so that they can, you know, look after the older population. Um, so now with China's universal two-child policy in effect, the impacts are still speculative. While some believe that the policy's impact on population growth will be relatively small, peaking at 1.45 billion in 2029, 12 others are hopeful that the two-child policy will lead to better health outcomes and a reduction in abortions. It seems though only time will tell. Yeah, definitely. It's is something that I think we can only look back with hindsight and it's it's really difficult to kind of predict, isn't it? Um, because you you really don't know, as I said, you know, to um to what extent uh, they will be successful and, you know, to you know, to what extent the damage has already been done and I guess as well to what extent is is permanent. It's gonna take generations mm-hmm. to to die out. And, you know, as I said as well there's there must be some sort of psychological aspect to it now where it's the norm to have an only one child and to be an only child so I'm sure it's much more than just the government saying what is allowed now you know mm-hmm. so that that's interesting and I'm sure like at one point it will be interesting to look back on this and see how successful the Chinese government have been mm-hmm. um in kind of reversing their steps with this uh but yeah this is the the last episode of our China series um there will be another episode not on China but a shorter episode we've just been explaining you know what we're doing next it's a little bit different and then after that we'll be um starting it but yeah do keep out for that episode where I'm explaining what we're doing next as I said it's a little bit different it's exciting um but yeah yeah so thank you everyone for listening to the China series we've both I'm sure I can speak for the both of us that we've found this really educational really informative and I definitely feel like I have a better overall education about China now than I did whenever we started, maybe six weeks ago now we started the, the China series. Um, so yeah, we hope you find it re- we hope you found it really educational and really informative. And um, if you've ever got any questions, please send us a DM on Instagram. Um, yeah, we're going to be posting and we are posting a lot more on there now. So give us a follow. Um, if you've got any ideas for any countries you'd like us to cover um, or to discuss, again, let us know. We'd be more than happy to um so yeah add some episodes if if you guys would like to for us to talk about any specific topic um in global affairs or current affairs anything like that that's going on around the world just let us know um but yeah thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode